Hi, this is Petra, Emilia, Rafael, Sophie, and Patricia. And we are an international group of MA students on the Photography and Society course at the Royal Academy of Arts in The Hague. And this is Photography and Society, the podcast, created in response to the Undisciplining Photography Symposium. Welcome along and thanks for listening. Welcome to Photography and Society, the podcast. My name is Patricia Kyfus and I'm your host for today. This episode responds to the symposium section called Dirty Pictures, a term coined by the artist and scholar Susan Shipley. Dirty pictures, by her definition, are images that perform as double agents. A dirty picture represents an event, but the event itself makes images as well, meaning that its consequences can be perceived as a visible change of an environment, if you look at it at a larger scale. Dirty pictures challenge our perception that the systems that surround us run smooth and without friction. Maybe our guest today can be seen as a dirty photographer, performing as a double agent as well. She's someone who takes images, but is also challenging and transforming the system that photography is embedded in on a larger scale, changing the visible landscape of photography. Before I get to introduce her though, let's have a little fun. Photography on the Run This is Photography on the Run, where we observe photography in the wild and see how it behaves when left to roam on its own. To do so, we ask people to describe an image to you. Listen closely, and if you're curious, you can find the image on the Undisciplining Photography Instagram account. Later in this episode, we will give you more background information on the image. Photography on the run. Three images. I see three images of a, I think, woman with a scarf around her head. It's a person in a room. Uh, I guess it's, uh, it's a woman. Where is she? I don't know. Mm. Maybe it could have been taken in a tent. Like a house of blankets where you hide as a child and you build a room out of blankets. It's all very blue, green, grayish. Or I've seen something like that in a tent in Iraq in a refugee camp because of the cotton at the back and the blankets. Like it reminds me of yeah, a place like that. One image, she has her hands in front of the scarf in front of her face. The other image, she sort of looks like she's ducking. And one hand, the right hand is beside her head. But you don't see her face, only the motion of doing this. And the last one looks like a portrait. As in, she has a scarf around her head and in front of her mouth, but I can still see her nose and her mouth 
maybe a little bit of her neck. <laughs> he or she is looking at me, at the camera. I can't really describe what her eyes are saying. Mm, I guess they look kind of serious to me. Yeah. Mm. The first image, it's speaking to me most because I'm looking at her face, but I don't see her face. It's like some sort of a ghost, as in deformed face, because her hands could be like her eyes, but they're not, but they are. <laughs> and somebody say, show your skin or show your face. And I think she don't want because she hit the face with her hands. But something goes on. Ghost, football, party, photographer, the scream, Edward Monk, desperation. It's performed. I think maybe there's a big problem in her life, something like uh, violence, and she has to defend herself from it. She's telling me a story in three parts, but I don't know what story. We don't speak the same language, but she's trying to speak to me and I'm trying to understand her. And she's connecting in the last one because she makes eye contact. Photography on the run. As you heard, this podcast is created in response to the Undisciplining Photography Symposium, which aims to broaden our understanding of what photography can be and most importantly do. I'm therefore incredibly happy that today our guest will be Charlotte Schmitz. As for me, she's always been an inspiration in, in what being a photographer can mean. Charlotte and I studied photojournalism and documentary photography together in Hanover, Germany. And already back then, Charlotte was in the middle of making her very personal idea of photography reality. Today, I know Charlotte as an international published photographer and worldwide exhibited artist. She's the co-founder of a photography collective, which is called The Journal, which started in the pandemic and gives a voice to more than 400 women photographers all around the globe. And she's also the co-founder of Friendzone Studio. Charlotte grew up in a Danish minority on the Danish-German border and is building bridges between people up until today. She also teaches, speaks more than five languages and is all in all one of the most colorful and courageous people that I know. So generally, um, as you might have heard, she's a very busy lady and that's why I'm so grateful that we have her here today because it wasn't easy and I really appreciate that she made the time for us. Hi Charlotte, welcome. Hi, <laughs> thank you so much for your introduction and thank you also so much for having me here. Thank you. Where are you at the moment? Currently, I am at the German-Danish border up in the very north and um, yeah, I just moved back to, to where I grew up. So here I am now. Nice. I ask this because you have lived in so many places amongst other like Istanbul, Ecuador. So you've been moving around a lot. And I feel like for now, it's the first time in a long time that you had a bit more time in one place. Yes. 
I think it's very interesting because you say that you really prefer to work in a place where you have lived for a longer time because that gives you different access. I would like to start with talking a little bit about your book La Puente, a project which you did together with the women working in the largest brothel in Ecuador. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about how did this project come about and how does it represent your approach to photography? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so the majority of sex workers are women, but most art and visual projects are done by men. And I think they often fail to show how the women want to be seen. And it all started already in 2006 when I was studying in Machala, Ecuador, in an exchange. And one day, like we were driving outside of the city and there was this huge traffic jam. And I was like, why here? I mean, there's just banana plantage around. And my friends were laughing and saying, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's our brothel. And the place was stuck in my mind, I mean, since I was 18, And really as a place that also symbolized the gender-based double standards that exist in probably every society. And I always wondered how does life look inside the place? So I returned frequently to Ecuador, but then 10 years later I started to interview and to photograph the woman in La Puente and to, um, yeah, really... I mean, follow my curiosity and like trying to answer the question I had, how is it inside, how are the women feeling, but also really to make sense of their marginalization and also misrepresentation, which sex workers all around the world are facing. Yeah, and as you already mentioned, I mean, I usually only work in places where I lived or have a very strong connection to, and especially where I speak the language. So Ecuador is really a second home for me because I was there when I was 18 and I'm still very connected with my family. So I, I did quite a lot of projects already there. And what made you return to Ecuador at that point when you said like 10 years later you decided to go back? Why did you go back? It was really this question which I always had in my mind. How How is it looking inside the Brussels? Because I already when I was 18 understood that women and men don't have the same possibilities in societies while we women back at that time, maybe it has changed slightly to today, we were told like we're not able to date we're not able to see men we are controlled by the families and by the society in the city but my male friends <laughs> they were all free and all of them all of my male friends they had gone to la puente i mean most of them have gained their first sexual experiences in the brothel together with their fathers who took them there so i was really like wow i thought somehow this is a place where I can find a lot of answers about what it means also to be a woman. Yeah, I find that finding a lot of answers super interesting because I feel like you as a woman, you gain a very different access. And when I look at your work, it looks different. So you can really see that there is a different access that you provide or is provided to you just by being who you are, right? So maybe you can explain a little bit how you worked in the place. 
So I often work with participatory art and I include the people I photograph into the creative process. And I had already done that before the work, La Puente, and it really has become a foundational method for me in my art practice. So here in La Puente, for instance, the women were choosing how they wanted to be photographed. So they chose their poses, what they want to be photographed also. And I, I took my photos with a Polaroid camera, which also gained trust because they could also keep the image. And that was always something very important to me to tell them only give me your photograph if you really want me to have it. And the second step was that the women were actually painting with nail polish on those tiny Polaroids. And the nail polish in the beginning was a form of providing anonymity because it is crucial, you know, I mean, most of their families don't know where they work or they are being stigmatized. So anonymity is extremely important. So I didn't want it to show faces and really give them that um, possibility. And they used it, but it quickly also changed to a creative tool, I would say. So, I mean, the images, a lot of them are very colorful and not just the faces are painted, but perhaps the whole body or even the rooms. And so that really interests me in participatory art, that you don't really know how the outcome of a project is. And that is maybe how I work in general. So I don't really go somewhere with an idea like, oh, I'm doing the project with these and these tools, like very academically well thought, but I'm just me and I go there and then it develops. So here I only started by interviewing the women. I didn't even had a thought of doing a big project about it. So that developed. And for me, this is really the beauty. And it really also minimalizes somehow the hierarchy which develops very quickly in a photographic process because otherwise it's us as photographers especially in photojournalism always telling the stories of others without really including them and without giving them the possibility to create their own narratives and that's i think how we are constantly recreating the same images mm. Yeah. yeah, because there's this thing that you kind of already know what you're looking for before you go into a situation, right? Yeah, because and that's boring. Because, yeah. That's just boring, you know. You j just go and experience the place, you know. That's also why I personally love to photograph as Polaroid, because you really have very limited uh, <laughs> images you can make because it's very expensive. So it is, for me, that's great because I can just be there and focus much more on conversations and being in the place than photographing. And this is maybe also because I work rather conceptually in a way, you know, that I, I don't do um, reportage. So, of course, you might have to be a bit more active, but I really recommend everyone to just be in place and be there together with the people. I mean... Um, you don't necessarily have to include them into the creative process if that is not your method, but really understand how they want to be seen. And I think that is really the big problem about sex workers, for instance, that rarely projects show how the women want to be seen. And that was also, I mean, you remember it probably back in our university, I received when I graduated with this project quite some critics um, mm. saying, 
wow, um, you're giving the women a face and then you're taking it again, where I'm like, wow, those women already had faces. Everyone has a voice, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's like, that, yeah, because a lot of people were, were saying basically, well, you're not showing that this is not a cool place, you know, that La Puente mm. is not a great place to be. But if you look carefully at the images or read my text or look at the video documentations which exists, you can learn all of that. But it's not in this very straightforward showing the misery um, photography, which I really don't think it, it can always make change. Mm. What I realized when I looked at La Puente, that you managed to embrace, on the one hand, the bad stuff that is actually undeniably happening in a brothel, right? But then on the other side, you embrace it and say like, yeah, but there's also all this good stuff and there's these people who are inspiring and beautiful and strong and interesting. And I find that a really a quality of yours to hold that tension in a sense. Yeah, but I think because I, for instance, in La Puente, focus on the women, you know, not necessarily at the place. So it came quite naturally. And for me, I don't see a difference between people. I really don't get it when people do. So there is no difference between a woman in La Puente, you and me, mm. you know. So... I think if you scrap this out of your mind, it's, it's already quite free. And uh, yeah, so for me, I don't think much about mm. it. I... And then suddenly it's also logical not to be stuck in stereotypes, right? Yeah, like I didn't even think about, oh, you know, I want to do entirely different projects. I mean, this reflection also, you know, that most projects about sex workers were done by men, that came way later in the process where I was already writing my thesis when I really realized, oh, wow, that's really bad, you know? And so, but I did the work and my others out of a natural development, but also because it's being developed together with the people. So, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I find that really interesting because there is this tendency to show, for example, sex workers as victims. But then I always have this feeling of like, would I go back to the place and show this image to the people and feel good about it? So I, I think there is this thing that this depiction of people as victims only works because you take the images and then you go to another place and you show it there. So you really take them away. And I sometimes wonder how many people actually go back to the place and actually show these images to the people and really um, look at the reactions. What does it do? Because I think people feel very like precisely how an image works and the intentions behind it. And I find it so beautiful what you do because you also made a book from the work and you go back to the place and you show the book to the people. So it's kind of self-evident that these people are just as important as an audience as all the other people. So not even as an audience, but as an integral part of the project, right? Mm. I know that you photographed with a Polaroid camera for the first time in another project that you did, which was about refugees on the island of Lesbos in Greece. It's called Take Me to Germany. And I just wondered, like, how did you come up with the idea of using Polaroid? Yeah, I think it was in the end rather randomly. But of course, it fits maybe to 
what my values already are or where and how I want to work. So I often already do in university, I love to challenge a bit approaches <laughs> and how we see, you know, uh, what's happening around us. So I was living for a couple of years in Istanbul and had quite a lot of friends from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan and their civil war in Syria was also much closer and in 2015 when a lot of people were fleeing through Turkey towards Greece and then northern Europe I had a lot of friends traveling as well and I never photographed I followed them digitally on WhatsApp and tried to support and at one point I realized hey you're a photographer <laughs> so maybe you should also document this time because it was a very historic moment and mm. um, and it was mostly that I was very curious also to see the places they had already visited so um, I went to Lesbos with another journalist friend and you know, that was a moment where you could see that also the, let's say, rather um, normal photojournalism was important because the images of people arriving at the beaches made suddenly that there was a big attention on this moment, right? And a lot of volunteers, for instance, went to the places. So when I arrived, there were already a lot of people, whereas a couple of weeks before, people would have to walk 60 kilometers in order to reach the port. So I really also believe in the importance of uh, photojournalism as we mostly know it. But I wanted to do something else because I thought migrants were already so stereotyped in the mainstream media. And we all just talked about numbers, but never really about people. So I just thought, well, I just bring my Polaroid camera and um, and ask people to write their thoughts on this small Polaroid. And of course, you don't have a lot of space, but I do think that um, it gives a very um, relatable depth to the person when you see the person with their handwriting, because it is something mm. else if there is a young man standing at the Greek Macedonian border writing I'm alone and where he's from instead of me then telling oh he feels alone you know da, 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 da. so you just see the image and you immediately can connect to him and I think that is what is being lost often in mainstream media but I mean, we have to challenge the picture how how we see people, if it's uh, refugees, migrants or uh, sex workers, no? Because we mm. can't always just reproduce those stereotypical images. Yeah, and, and um, for me, what is also important to be in the place there as an artist or photographer, but also as Charlotte, no? So I don't agree when journalists say like oh we have to like keep the distance and and be completely objective because i think that's not possible and especially as photographers a lot you know you want to request intimacy in the images but you don't yeah. allow to be intimate yourself with the people so i think that's really fundamentally something wrong and you have to open up you also have to share your stories your doubts your thoughts and I think that's really, for me, an essence as well, beside working 
participatory, I usually stay connected with the people I photograph over a very long span of time. I mean, the sex workers, as you mentioned, they have been part of the whole process. So I know them already now since five years, you know, and I talk with them, not all, of course, but frequently over WhatsApp. And so the same with the people I photographed and take me to Germany. So I do want to follow up and also, I want to be able to show them the work and ask them what they think. Because in case of, of the women working in La Puente, it was so important for me to, to see that they fully support the project and that they understand why I'm doing it and that they really supported me with it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like there's this... Um idea of oh yeah make this work and then I win an award and that is kind of then I'm a successful photographer I think there's still this narrative going on and when I look at your work I could imagine that there's a different idea behind so I would like to know what is success for you I mean I think that kind of success is what they tell you at a university (laughs) because (laughs) yeah I mean our industry is so based on individualism and competition and you go out and tell the big stories and you know then you publish it in magazines and travel far and that really it is all about publishing and of course that is nice and maybe especially in the beginning you're more like ooh yeah publication <laughs> but for me success really is to follow what I want to do. I mean to really stay true to my values, to stay true to how I want to be part in changing our photo society, for instance, or that is, I think, um, success. If I can see that, yeah, the people I meet, the people I photograph, um, appreciate what I'm doing. That is, I think, the biggest success for me. I don't really Mm. care um, about a publication. Maybe this also comes with time and some publications, or just also really getting rid of the thought of that that is success. Because Mm. I really have learned in the last years since I've graduated that, I mean, (laughs) it is much stronger if you focus on on a collective environment, if it's in your own artwork, if it's working together with people. So for me, the key is to work together with people. Mm. I read in an interview that you said um, you always felt that you had a very strong sense for justice from early childhood on. And you mentioned your values now several times. So I wondered, is there a moment where you remember that this became really evident for you for the first time that you feel this on a very like basic level? Yeah, I mean, I think it really goes back to since I'm small. I really always had a strong sense of justice and I always try to contribute to a juster treatment of my co-students back in school and um, yeah I don't know I also think that art is uh, political and that we should be political I don't know when I was younger I always wanted to study political science and become a politician until I ended up in Paris and going into photography exhibitions, then I thought, hmm, I can also be political with photography. So uh, I'm not sure if I ever will be a, a politician again. I don't think so. 
But um, yeah, I think really it's a it's a beautiful tool to be political and to convey your messages. And for me, it's really about rethinking narratives and the collective sense, I mean, building communities. Mm. And I think this tackling inequality is really a red thread in your work. It's really this idea of like, how can I contribute as an individual to maybe changing something the way things are, right? Yeah. And I found it really interesting because when we spoke as a pre-conversation to this interview, we agreed kind of that one project alone doesn't really change the world, right? Mm. Because we are kind of not in the position to decide what's going to be published or seen in the world. And in the beginning of the pandemic, you started another project of yours, which is called The Journal. And it's also actually tackling inequality. And I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, if you like, I can maybe shortly tell you a bit about The Journal and then we can talk a bit <laughs> yeah, about inequality, I guess. So, well, yeah, the journal is a global um, photography collective and we are have we are several hundred women who have come together to create a network for connection, creativity and support while giving insight into our lives around the world. And I guess like photography is a common language we all speak, but really not the main focus of our collective. It is a way to connect with like-minded women and it grows through an open and supportive, trusting environment. So it all started, as you said, in the beginning of the pandemic last year, when we all lost our jobs and income suddenly. But I thought like, well, but we are also artists and <laughs> how can we use photography to keep ourselves in a better state mentally also? So I posted basically like a short open call in the internal Facebook site of Woman Photograph and asked if we all want to do a collective project and um, shared a bit my, my vision behind it that also we have the responsibility as photojournalists to document the times. And if we can't travel somewhere or if we can't meet others, we have to turn the cameras on ourselves. And that's what you've been doing ever since. Mm. You were incredibly fast with it because you started mid-March. And I feel like if I think back, mid-March was really at the point where I understood, okay, wow, this is happening, right? And I find it really interesting that your first reaction was to do something like this. Was there some reason why you did it? No, I think I always, I think my my strength, but also sometimes weakness, that I have a lot of ideas, and then I find myself in doing uh, many of them. And uh, no, that was that. I don't know. I, we talked internally, like, okay, what can we do for each other? So, and I basically said, hey, let's come together and do a collective project. And so we did this open call and. Um, Then after two or three days, we were like 400 <laughs> photographers who signed up, all women from around the world. And then luckily, Hannah Yoon, a photographer based in Philadelphia, she like quickly said, hey, I'm going to help you. And yeah, we, we, we built together with friends and studios, so with my agency, 
the whole structure and collective basically and i really think that we were so many women within only a couple of days really showed how much we needed one another and we have received so many questions of people would be able to be added like weeks and months after we closed so there was this really strong need of coming together and so the journal works like this that the 400 women are divided into smaller groups so they are like in groups of six to eight women who came together you know shared their experiences were just there for each other And they photographed and uh, curated their work together, which they then shared on our Instagram. Mm. Well, and another, another thought quite early when it all started was that women are underrepresented in our field already. And I knew that the current pandemic will only heighten this imbalance. So, and that's what we see now, no? I mean, a lot of... Um, news got decimated while the pandemic hit the world and I fear that the aftermath will be much more devastating if also the media outlets don't receive the needed support and it was a response to make sure that the images of women photographers will be equally written in the history of our times and I think that's really what the journal did I mean because hundreds of women were photographing and documenting and I think a lot of people outside of the collective felt numb in the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, what should we do? So the journal really has helped the members to continue photographing, but also to change their photographical approaches. And that's what I think is so uh, beautiful. So a lot of the women suddenly photograph their children, their private spaces, their partners, their communities, whereas most of them before were actually, yes, scared to express themselves as women. Because in our industry, it's quite challenging to be successful or to work while being a mother, for instance, no? So there's a lot of stereotypes there as well. So the journal, I think, has really brought the space for for us to express ourselves also as women and i find that so interesting when you say like the photographers turn towards the domestic sphere in a sense that mm. you suddenly look at something which was before maybe considered not worth photographing and because you have such a big network this storytelling does not only show us the perspective of a eurocentric view It's actually global. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about that. Yes. So, um, yeah, we are, we have members in 75 plus countries and um, are aiming for equal representation in our memberships. So we are nearly there, but yeah, in some regions it's still it needs a bit of work. And yeah, I mean, equal representation for us is really a paramount and Whenever we have an exhibition, if we have a panel publication, we make sure that we show the works of women around the world equally. And I think that is really interesting because especially here in Europe, we often talk about gender equality 
and look at how many women and men are presented at a panel or festival, for instance, but rarely institutions or media outlets embrace that equal representation means more. Because, yeah, I mean, look, if a woman gets a job in Germany or Europe, that's you and me, no? And mm -hmm. also a lot of feminists don't really see their own power position. And I think this is probably the strength of the journal, that there is no hierarchy in the decision making. And if, then it's being made globally. And yeah, that we really make sure to present the works of women equally, no? Yeah, how does that work in practice? Because if I hear you say like, okay, you have more than 400 photographers and then you have a publication, for example, how does it work? Because somebody has to make a decision somehow, right? Yes. So, I mean, first of all, in general, we have diversity and inclusion checklists written, which are very helpful for ourselves, but also for other collaborators and an example could be an exhibition we are having um, this week in Dortmund from 17 to 26 of June and we were only able to show 10 artists so that was the, the parameters we got from the festival that's not a lot right <laughs> so we made an open call to everyone so people submitted the images but in the end we chose two people from each five world regions and even then internally of course looking that they are in different countries and i think it's very easy you just you know have to see the structure problem and then you know do something and, and practice so we chose there the diversity you know and to really give mm. insight into the lives of women around the world but also what we did is we created a collective video which represents one image of each photographer which we will also show in Dortmund so mm. if we were if we are not able to um, show everyone which is of course difficult with 400 uh, photographers then this is a way for us to do it and It's so simple, no? I mean, mm. literally just choose two photographers from um, each world region. That's it, you know? So in a sense, what you do is you use guidelines to decide, okay, this is the like basic way we work from, and then you produce these guidelines throughout your work. You also started another team project, actually. Together with Marie Hartlieb and Flor Orpianesi, you founded Friendzone Studio which is a communication agency and it's I think you started it almost at the same time as the journal I think hmm. yes yeah, so actually friends on studio I co-founded a couple of months before the pandemic started and I guess that was probably like the best timing I ever had in something <laughs> because we as you said um, we develop creative communication but for projects and organizations with social and cultural impact. And Marie and Flor had both worked for marketing agencies and they just thought, wow, I mean, those um, places do a lot of bullshit, basically, you know, and they don't really follow any values and um, codes for, for them, how they want to work. So they asked me if I want to join them. And... I have learned so incredible much through them. 
especially how important it is to connect art and photography and social entrepreneurship because I really believe it's a wonderful combination to push for change. Because when I came up with the idea of the journal, for instance, Marie and Flo immediately supported the project and together we developed all its structure. No? And alone, I would never have been able to do it. So without Hannah and without Marie and Flo, the journal wouldn't even exist, you know, because it needed a lot of work. It's a lot of concept behind as well so yeah i mean i think we do cool stuff and we also developed a digital use exchange between germany and turkey something what we are doing currently a lot and i really enjoy bringing people together i like your mission statements which are these guidelines that we actually talked about before they you say like um, what guides you is rethink narratives building communities and inspired change. But it's important we say together we rethink narratives, build communities and inspire change. <laughs> okay, yeah. So you say like um, together is the integral part. Yes. Yeah, and what also I learned through them, because I mean, I just had this photojournalism background, not at all communication, mm -hmm. right? And also, I don't think that our studies were very going deep in, in questioning what we were doing. We didn't talk about feminism. We didn't talk about post-colonialism mm. or anything. No, But here, through friends and studio and through both of them, I really learned much more to reflect on why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it really comes from this classic marketing, no? I mean, that most companies or brands, they think about what they're doing and maybe how they're doing, but not really about the why. And a lot of even established um, organizations don't ask themselves this simple question. But in the end, that's really what makes you unique. And you have to tell that one story, no? I mean, otherwise you're just following what others are doing, but you have to find out what is your mission, mm. basically. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to say. Without them, you would have never been able to see that. There is this idea of let's reach out as photographers and go maybe more cross-disciplinary. How I always perceived you as a person is somebody who does things, who makes things happen and who doesn't just linger on the surface of the photograph, but really sees the whole system and tries to connect the people in it and to change the lives of the people. So I think it comes very natural that you end up in a situation like this. And I wondered, one could maybe also be a bit overwhelmed by the responsibility that comes with this this approach, right? Because it takes a lot of responsibility mm. to say like, okay, I have this role of changing. I can't change something. Um, how do you deal with this? Like that you don't get overwhelmed with, okay, but then I'm suddenly responsible for everything. Hmm. I mean, I don't think that I have more responsibility just because I follow more what I want to do and really to convey the messages I want to convey. 
somehow I don't think it has an effect on me. Of course, like building something like the journal has give you know comes with a lot of responsibility. But I think it's also shared, you know, and because with Marie and Flor, with the journal, that we are a bunch of people working on the journal. It's not just me, you know. So I mean, I initiated and I may be spanning a bit over it, but otherwise there's a lot of us working on it. I mean, an individual group of people creating a podcast right now as well, you know. I mean, the others are doing this again. So um, it's really, I think if you work in a collective environment, there's also less responsibility because few people feel responsible for the same case as you do. And um, yeah, I really don't see any future in working as an individual artist um, entrepreneur or whatever anymore. I really believe in the power and beauty of working together. And also, I think that, you know, as our whole industry is based on that individualism and competition, I don't think that that contributes to a just society. And somehow, I think or hope that the pandemic maybe has helped a bit for people to understand as well that we are stronger together and that it's not good for us to live alone and isolated. And I think that could also be the case for the whole art industry, or at least I hope mm. that. I hope that too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I find it really interesting because for me, I am still looking into this, how can this look for me and how can I follow guidelines that I make for myself? Because I think it's not always easy, right? And I think to do this not alone is such a smart way, And so I find that so different to how maybe 10 years ago the profession of photography was presented, right? It feels so enriching in a sense to open up and be just like, okay, let's share information. Let's, let's be generous with each other. Yeah, and I think also times are changing. I mean, you and me, we know how outdated it already was studying photojournalism when we started in 2011. So as mentioned, like we didn't talk about why we're doing what we're doing. Not at all, right? So I think that really has changed. I can see the change in our former university, but also looking around. But I think it is really just very simple. I mean, once you have understood the structural um, discrimination, racism, sexism then you can see it everywhere and that's the moment when you can start making change i mean you can speak up when you see that someone is facing injustice and give space you know or create platforms i mean there's so much you can do and i really think it is important not only to think about something super theoretically but then you don't really do it in practice. Mm. And I think coming together with others is really yeah. helpful here, you know, to really understand also in how vastly different living realities we, we, we are navigating. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes you can think all you want, but it's very grounding to then just hear somebody else's opinion who might yeah, look at it totally differently. 
that's so, it's so nice. nice. <laughs> I mean, the moment, the moment when you thought, oh, this was a brilliant picture, and then you realize, hmm, yeah, but maybe you know, not maybe it needs an another turn. You know, I mean, I think uh, feedback uh, is the most valuable tool, and we should really use it and not be scared for it. Okay. Yeah, when you say like not be scared, there is so much maybe hesitation that like, okay, should I show it? What, what happens if I show it in many different contexts? And I think from my experience, like sometimes it takes courage, but I feel like the moment you do it, something happens and it, it really opens up a different door and it's so enriching on a very different level. And then we maybe come back to success because... I think you once said like photography for you is not a documenting medium, but more like a communicative medium. And I think that's yeah. really interesting because it's this like bridge to say like, okay, let's, let's use photography to talk about your life perspective and my life perspective and see how we can learn from each other. Right. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think uh, photography is a beautiful tool to not only express oneself, but um, yeah, to just to get in contact with others. I mean, I love being a photographer. And also, I love, of course, traveling to places and meet new people. No, um, I just think it's really, really important to, yeah, to reflect on on the all this long, long power um, structures which are there and need to be torn down and that somehow I, where I feel the pandemic hopefully will also help a bit with um, post-colonial photojournalism coming to an end and yeah and that media outlets for instance work predominantly with local photographers and don't fly in journalists from around the world especially when they lack cultural understanding and language mm. skills you know of their respective regions so, yeah, but photography is just great. <laughs> are there people that inspire you? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who inspire me. Actually, everyone I meet inspires me. And art with social and cultural in impact inspires me. And looking around like and, and seeing, I don't know, you know, from increasing social injustice to climate change, we have to make change now and be political and inspire each mm -hmm. others to join. So um, that's really where I see the power of art and um, also for us to understand that we can be part of changing something. Because a lot of people, I think, they just stay silent or they feel they can't really do anything. But of course you can. I mean, I'm not changing entirely how people see sex workers. Of course not, you know, but I can contribute um, to it. And maybe I can inspire others to work in a, in a similar way or that participatory art is being used more in photojournalism. So, you know, and show how much it, fun I mean. it is. Yeah, I find it so beautiful yeah. when I when I see the videos when you show the books to the, the woman, you know. And you can just see that there's so much energy going on, right? And I think that's it should be like such a motivation for everybody to think like, wow, this this can happen through photography, right? And it's been a very different feeling than just seeing your work published somewhere or whatever. It the success when coming back is for me what I care is I don't know all those amazing friendships 
I have built throughout the many, many years. It's also with a journal right mm. now, no? It is so beautiful to have met so many inspiring women. So they are inspiring me. Usually the people I work, the people I meet, the people I talk to, I don't know. You f can't find inspiration in mm. everything around you. Yeah, I think <laughs> I'm calling it a day here. Yes. Because we tackled a lot. It was kind of fast. But yeah, I think there's so much food for thought and also a lot of inspiration in here, I have to say. Thank you so, so much for taking this time yeah. and yeah, being with us and sharing what you think, because I think it's a beautiful example of what you can do with photography. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone for listening. Photography on the Run At the beginning of this episode in Photography on the Run, you heard the description of three images from Charlotte's series, Women of Moria, in which she wanted to find a way to show how it feels as a woman to live in a place that doesn't let you arrive and where private space is rare. They show Sedige, a 55-year-old woman who more than 20 years ago stepped on a Taliban landmine and lost her feet. She fled with her family to Iran, and when Charlotte met her, she lived in the refugee camp Moria on Lesbos for more than five months. You can find these images on the Undisciplining Photography Instagram account. This was Photography in Society, the podcast, in conversation with Charlotte Schmitz. I hope you enjoyed it and tune in for our next episode. You can follow the Undisciplining Photography Instagram account to stay updated. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The team of Photography and Society, the podcast, would like to thank Ben Smith, our supervisor, Echo the Dolphin and Julia Koch, who designed all the music parts, and the Department of Photography and Society of the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague. If you want to know more about the topic of this episode, please visit the platform where you found us for more info. Photography.